Open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We're back on track, I hope. Uh, I hope that uh, as we uh, are beginning this new year, we're uh, back in the book of Colossians and hopefully uh, really getting back to our study of what God wants to teach us through that great book. Most of the the passages we've gone over in Colossians chapter 1 have really dealt uh, almost exclusively with who Jesus is. And I think sometimes we struggle with the very thing that we're going to be challenged about in the book of Colossians. You have Jesus. You have Jesus and who he is. And you learn about his character and who he is and what he has done. And that's a, a good theological study. It's important for us to know those things. And so as we consider Christ, um, it's an amazing study, and yet sometimes it's hard for us to connect Christ with what I'm doing today, with what I'm doing today. And really, uh, today we're going to kind of make a little bit of a shift of what is going to go on in the church, how Jesus impacts a church, and really how Jesus impacts individuals. And that's what we're going to consider um, even as Paul shares uh, about his own personal um, connection with Christ and why he is and why he does what he does um, in the church. And so that's what we're, where we're heading this morning. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you verse 24 through the end of the chapter. God's word says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Verse 26, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Let's pray. Father God, I ask your blessing on our time together this morning. As we gather as your church, Lord, I pray that you would help us to focus in on Christ. That you would uh, ignite our hearts to serve you more faithfully and for us to see clearly what part you have us plan in your kingdom. God, you know what you're doing. You know uh, the plans that you have for even Bear Valley Church here. You know what you desire. And God, I ask that you would cause us to get in step with that. That you would uh, help us to set aside our own agendas and our own desires so that you would work powerfully in us. God, thank you for the grace of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
This morning we start at verse 24. Verse 24. Paul says these types of things so often. Maybe we become uh, desensitized to it. But what does he say? He says, now I rejoice at my sufferings. I rejoice at my sufferings. And as I read those those two words, suffering and joy, I put those two together. It just doesn't seem right to me. I'm happy when I'm happy. I'm joyful when things are going right. And when things aren't going right, I feel uh, gratified and the only happiness I get is pouting. (laughs) I'm feeling bad for myself. Of being grumpy, and, and really, most of us don't like to feel grumpy alone. We like to infect our whole family with it, right? Yeah. Those were uh, uncomfortable laughs, weren't they? <laughs> That's funny, isn't it, honey? <laughs> careful, careful, Ray. You're going to get the, you know. We think about those, but, but that should strike us as we read what Paul says. I rejoice in suffering. I rejoice in suffering. It's hard for us to picture, isn't it? To, to find joy in suffering. And for Paul, uh, we don't know the specific things that he's talking about. But when we understand who Paul was and what his life was like as really a missionary to the churches, to plant churches... You see over and over again, imprisonment, beatings, rejection, suffering even financial loss and the idea of of constantly traveling. And and you see his life even talks about being poured out as a drink offering. And this is what Paul says. He says, this is my joy. This is what I rejoice in. It's always interesting to be around kids at Christmas time, isn't it? They get presents, and if it's a good one, they're happy, aren't they? They're excited, they're excited. And yet as I look at who Paul is, that's not what he's talking about. He says, I have joy in suffering. I rejoice in it. I think we can understand this. I know it sounds very foreign to us. But if you've ever gotten a great deal on a home, weren't you happy? I think about uh, uh, someone, if someone were to sell their, their million dollar home to you for $100,000, wouldn't you be happy? Wouldn't you? It'd be exciting, wouldn't it? Only $100,000. How many of us have $100,000? If you do, just praise, please raise your hand. I'll talk to you after the service, okay? That'd be exciting, wouldn't it? And you say, well, $100,000 is hard to make. Yeah, it takes some time. It takes some work. It, it, it's a painful process to put that away. But isn't it great? 100000 for a million-dollar home? That'd be awesome. I think about different sports. Um, I'm not much of... Uh, I, I don't follow this sport. I kind of don't follow this sport. But um, mixed martial arts. I don't know if you've ever uh, seen that. And what it is is they just bash each other in pretty much any way possible, they get in a ring and they just wail on each other. And you, you hear them talk afterwards and sometimes they lose and their face is all disfigured and eyes puffy and uh, maybe even got a concussion and they're like, 
man, I can't wait to fight again. And you're like, oh. I was thinking about it personally. I was more the professional wrestling, you know, the more dramatic ones. I was going to be the pastor of disaster. But you, but you think about that in sports, right? You've seen people hurt themselves and next week they go out onto the football field and you're going, why? Why? And they're going, isn't it great? And you're going, yeah, but you, you wrecked your knee. You, you know, yeah, in your, your retirement, you may not be able to walk. Yeah, but isn't it great? You know, I think about um, different, uh, you know, Christmas break. Some of you go to college, Right? That's college, isn't it? You say, well, tell me how, how college is going. Oh, I've taken a gazillion units. Don't get a whole lot of sleep. Been super hard classes. You know, it's depressing and overwhelming. I'm stressed out. And yet you're going to go back next semester. You're going back. You signed up for it. You're paying to go. You're suffering and, and you're doing it to yourself. There's an easier way out. I think, uh, and I always, this is a dangerous thing what I'm going to do now, but I, I think, um, I think you ladies can relate to this, right? Who, who have had kids, who've gave birth. Is that, was that fun? Like, was that something that, uh, that you just go, wow, that was easy, you know? Nothing to it, nothing to it, no pain there. You know about that. It's about doing something difficult and even suffering but enjoying doing it, there's a reason behind it. There has to be a value in that. And as we look at who Paul was and what he was about, I think we can understand why he had joy. Really, that first point being Paul's joyful suffering. His joyful suffering. Paul suffered. There's no doubt about it. As you look through his life and really... Even his connection to the Colossian church wasn't as intimate as some of the other churches. We don't have a record of him ever being there. We don't have uh, this real strong connection. Really, it, it seems as though Epaphras was the one that Paul shared Christ with. And then Epaphras went and he uh, brought the gospel to the Colossian church. But Paul says, you know, I rejoice at my suffering. I rejoice at my suffering. It's something I'm glad to do. And the reason for it in verse 24 is that he says, In my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body that is the church. That's tough to read, isn't it? Because sometimes we get nervous when it says things like that, right? To fill up the suffering that Christ was lacking? And we, we picture the cross and we say, wasn't the cross sufficient? And it was, wasn't it? Sufficient for sinners like us, right? Sinners that, that had done vile and awful things and even greater things in our heart that we've never even acted out were there. And yet Christ's death was sufficient. And yet at the cross and even at, at the grave, at the resurrection... Though the work of salvation was done, the work of the establishing of His church and the work of Christ throughout the world was not completed. 
And as Paul shares about this suffering and why he's suffering, he says, I am in, in a process and in, in part of that line that is the establishing of his church, and it's not done yet. And as I read that, I get excited, right? Because it's still not done yet, is it? That there's a sense in which we are not apostles like Paul was. He was laying out scripture. He was writing it, even as we look at the book of Colossians. But the work of Christ is not completed, and there's still work to be done until he returns. It's exciting. So Paul says, I suffer, I rejoice at suffering, that I might continue on in that part of Christ, that I might be the fulfillment of that. And for what reason? Paul says this, for the sake of his body, the church, his body, the church. Those of you who know me know that I love the local church. I, lo- I love the local church. It's where it's at. And I know that that's not all that popular these days. I think that many people, uh, they, they love to pull back and they say, you know, I, I believe in Jesus. I have a relationship with Jesus. But I'm just not into the local church. I just kind of have a personal relationship. I do it at home. I, I'm just, you know, kind of floating around. Paul wasn't floating around. He was investing in local churches. He desired to see them established in communities, just like Bear Valley, just like Tehachapi. Maybe not just like Tehachapi, but, but, but he desired to see a church established that it might impact the community. And Paul says, this is why I rejoice at suffering. There's a purpose behind it. You know, we do these weighing things all the time. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? And Paul's looking at his sufferings and saying, it is worth it. It is worth it. And this morning, maybe that's the thing for us as we grab hold of of the difficulty of serving the Lord, even in this church. There's a sense in which if it's not worth it, we pull out and we say, you know, I'll go watch football. Go check out the Golf Channel, twenty four seven hunting or something like that. We say there's just other things we could do. It's just not worth it. And Paul says, "I'm excited to suffer, knowing that it's worth it. I rejoice even in the suffering, because his church is worth it. It's true. It's true. It may not be easy, but it is worth it." Paul goes from his joyful suffering to his simple purpose in verse 25. He says, Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. What is he doing while he is suffering? If the game's not going on, if it's just painful, there's no reason to continue on. But what is this purpose that drives him? Well, he he first talks, he says, I'm a minister. I've been given a a job to do, a job to do. You think about getting jobs, and maybe this is a touchy thing for me to talk about in a Sunday like today, (laughs) getting a job. How do you get a job? How do you get a job? I was thinking of my own kids, and uh, they they don't really have, 
you know, they haven't, I haven't told them to go out and get a job yet. Maybe that'll happen next week. I don't know. But I think about the privilege of work, the privilege of work. I think that that sounds kind of weird sometimes because uh, in our world today, there's a sense of uh, you go to your job and in, in your own heart, you probably say, they're lucky to have me. They're lucky to have me. And yet you know that when an employer hires an employee, that that's a kind thing that they're doing. They're pulling them in. They're trusting them. They're trusting them. They're saying that we want you. We trust you with a task. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I, I became a minister. How? Through the stewardship. Through the stewardship. And you get this picture that God is the one who is doing his work in the world. And he, he pulls out Paul. And if you think about Paul's life, it, it's especially amazing, isn't it? Persecutor of Christians. He dropped him on the road, right? He said, I want you. Boom, you're down. How are things going? Do you, do you understand that I'm in charge here? And as he came to know Christ, it, it gives us the picture that God entrusted him with a stewardship. He said, I will trust you with something precious. I will give you a job. Most of us know about uh, answering to the boss, right? About whether it be looking at the numbers or seeing the finished product. If you're a builder, there's a sense of the customer coming in and approving what you have done. And sometimes that's fearful, isn't it? Something, sometimes that's fearful. I remember I was at a, a, a job. I, I used to be a milkman many years ago before I was a youth pastor at Bear Valley Church. And it was kind of a sobering thing when I got to hop up in this huge milk truck and I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> Driving around the San Fernando Valley on the 405 freeway, up and down roads, trying to park this thing in places it shouldn't be parked. And, it, and, and you realized that you were a dangerous man with a big old milk truck. And so sometimes in those moments, I'd go, man, I really got to pay attention because if I do something wrong in this, it's going to reflect on my boss. He's not going to be pleased. How much greater, as Paul considered the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as he's unpacking this for the Colossian church, he says, look, I became a minister, but I was entrusted. I became a steward of this amazing, amazing thing called the gospel. And so his purpose as a, a minister, a steward from God, as he was given this great task, says to make the word of God fully known. I love that. I should get a tattoo or something like that, right? I don't have any tattoos. I have scars, but not tattoos. To make the word of God fully known. See, as Paul understood his, his part of what God was doing, he said, this is my desire is to make the word of God, God's message fully known. That everyone would know. That everyone would know. That there wouldn't be a sense of a city left untouched or a group of people that didn't know. That he, he'd been entrusted with this message. And sometimes we forget this, that people have got to know the gospel. They've got to know. 
You see, Paul didn't think of himself as as just getting a, a meal. He didn't think of himself as receiving the gospel and it just landing there on him. But him being changed by the gospel and then going out to make the word of God fully known. He was desiring that in all peoples. How about us? We've been entrusted with the gospel. Been given the great opportunity. Sometimes we, uh, as we, really this, this whole message is about richness. It, when we have received riches, sometimes we're just happy about it. It's great for me. It's great for me. I, I'm rich. But not to see those riches as being something that comes upon us and then goes out from us because of what God has done. Paul saw himself as a steward. He didn't think of this call of being an apostle as, boy, this is a good career move for me. You know, I really think this is really going to open a lot of opportunities up for me and really look good on the resume down the line. It wasn't something entrepreneurial in his, in his mind. He said, you know what? I was sick of having to answer to those different people I answered to when I was persecuting Christians. Now I can be my own guy. Now I can go out and do, I can conquer cities and do this whole thing and it all come back to me. But no, he saw himself as a steward. Just desiring to bring God's message that all may know what God had for them. Paul had joyful suffering. He had a simple purpose. And then in verse 26, he has a mysterious message. Mysterious message. Verse 26 says this, the mystery hidden for ages and generations. You think about that and you think about the history of the Bible. Over and over again, really from the earliest times in the book of Genesis, there was a need for a Savior. There was a need for Messiah. God's people knew that Messiah would come. He knew that God loved them. They, they understood that there was uh, opportunity and that God was faithful to them. He saw their faithfulness. They saw that. And yet as, as they, they went forward, they were always wondering, well, how is this all going to play out? How will God love us and save us? And it was this kind of mystery. And even as Christ came on the scene, you can see that he was sharing bits and pieces with people that needed to know and others he was keeping in the dark. And as he was coming about and Christ goes to the cross, he goes to the cross, he dies, he, he, he rises again. And now the, the secret's out. And as Paul sees himself, he says, I share this mystery for generations. No longer a mystery, but I lay it out there. What is this mysterious message that he has? He talks about really who uh, it is meant for. He says, now for the saints, now for the saints. I know that uh, some of you former Catholics and still struggling with that, when you see the word saints, you go, (gasps) saints, that's a big word right there. Saints, and it is a big word, not because of us being great, 
but because of God's great work. And the reality is, when you see that word saints, it's all of God's people, people that he has changed by the gospel, not by works, not by works. It's not about us boasting in what we have done. It's about him doing a work in us and him calling us and becoming his saints. And he says, this is the message. This is mysterious message is coming to them. As you see in here, he... Uh, he, he says there's a mystery. This mystery is revealed. Skipping down just a touch, it says, if you look down um, in verse 27, it says, to them God chose to make known. Chose to make known. You, you, you need to see this as part of God's unfolding plan, that, that it wasn't that it was a mystery because people weren't smart. It, was, it wasn't a mystery because it just hadn't gotten to that place. It was a mystery because this was God's plan that it would be a mystery and kind of veiled up to the point of Christ. And then he chose to make it known and he was using Paul to do so. As you think about this, uh, as you think about this message of Christ, what is it like? What, what is this message like? How does it hit you? And as we look at this passage in verse 27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches, are the, are the riches, you've got to hear that word, are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Whatever this mystery is, whatever this mystery is that we don't quite grasp or that Paul is sharing, it's, it's, it's a, a treasure. It's riches. And I, I want to connect this for you. Why was Paul um, okay with suffering? Why was he even joyful about suffering? It was because of the riches. It was because the greatness of this mystery. It was because this message that was now being revealed was so overwhelming that there was no price that was too high. There was no suffering that was too great. Well, what is it? I've been kind of babbling on, right? And you kind of say, well, you really haven't said what it is. It's real simple, and it's put in a very succinct way for us. The Gentiles are, are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is... Christ in you. Christ in you. What's this great thing that Paul's willing to suffer whatever for? What is this incredible stewardship that he has been placed with? It's Christ in you. Christ in you. You think about that and you think about how he has described how, how Jesus is God in the flesh already in chapter 1. He's talked about really the sacrifice that has come, that it was a perfect sacrifice. And, and why is this so amazing? Why is it this such great treasure? Because the same Christ that came and, and was, was born, even as we celebrate Christmas, 
The same Christ that was God come in the flesh and did all those miracles and is just far beyond what we deserve or can imagine even. He did not desire for us to have a distant relationship, but that he describes what we are to have in him is Christ in us, in us. Can't believe it. I can't believe it. Why would he do that? Why would we deserve or be able to attain a relationship with Christ? Why? Let's leave it at that. I don't know that we're going to have any great answers, even as we talk about it. Why? Christ in us. You see, our relationship with him is not a business relationship where, you know, uh, you may have a plumber or you may have a, a mechanic. And when do you have a relationship with him? When you're in trouble, right? The car doesn't work. And you go and you, you be kind to him. You hope he treats your car well. He hope he fixes it. And then you pay him some money and you say, hope I never see you again. <laughs> it's not that kind of relationship. But that as, as we have a relationship with Christ, it's the most intimate that Christ is in us. That Christ is in us. And so we are an undeserving temple of him. This is what's so great. This is the mystery that has now been revealed. Christ in you. And then one other. uh, It says Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. And as he talks about that relationship, Christ in us, he points to the future. And he says, the hope of glory. The time that will come. At the end of one's life or the return of Christ, the glory that is to come. And he says, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Today, he is in us, the future, the hope of glory. And he says, this is worth it all. This is worth it all. I think about uh, many years ago, probably about 18 years ago, just a little bit longer. I went shopping. Men don't go shopping on purpose. You know, they, they, uh, they limit those type of activities. But I was focused this particular day. I went and uh, picked up a young lady who was not Rebecca. And I said, we need to go jewelry shopping. It was her best friend. And so we, we drove down to the uh, center of L.A. And I, I don't go to L.A. on purpose either. But I was focused that day, and so we went to the Diamond District, and I went up to the 11th floor of some building somewhere, knocked on this door, and I went into this um, room, and I sat down at a a desk. It was really a desk, and the the man in front of me with Julie, our friend, and we sat down there, and he just started grabbing diamonds and laying them out on the black velvet. And you know what? I I don't know anything about diamonds at all. Anything, anything at all. I know they're cut and kind of glassy looking. I I know those, uh, very little. And he starts to show me, he starts to show me, here's a a diamond. And I go, oh, that's a nice one. He says, no, it's not. It's a horrible one. I'm with you, you know. Uh, And he gives me that little eyepiece and I look down at it and I go, oh, yeah. And he says, see, look at this one. Oh, that's much better. Yeah. And so 
He's laying it out before me. I don't know what I'm looking at. I, I, he is showing me the difference between the junk and that which is beautiful. And there's a sense in which that day everything changed for me when it comes to diamonds. I didn't know. I didn't know. And as I picture Paul, as he had been entrusted with this incredible stewardship, he, he says, my job is to lay it out before people to educate them, to share with them, to inspire them, to see the value of Christ. I'm amazed that this is really our job today as well, right? People trip over the good stuff of Jesus all the time. I may have shared this before. We had a neighbor. Um, you know, I, I may share stories over and over again. Um, I have to listen to yours, so maybe you need to listen to mine too. But uh, in our in our old neighborhood in Petaluma, there was a lady that I I had met. She she's in our neighborhood, and I invited her to come to church. And she said she said to me, and it just bothered me so much. She said, "Oh, Sunday morning I walk my dog. I walk my dog." And I I, I remember just going, "We're we're talking about Christ." who came and to die for worthless sinners like me and you, and you're walking your dog. See, the problem there was she didn't understand the worth of the one I was talking about. And our job is to lay that out, to make that fully known, to bring that to people. that They might respond to the gospel. Three things I want to point out as we conclude this morning. And then move into a time where we celebrate the cross. I find it interesting. I didn't uh, bring this out earlier, but this is not a Jewish gospel, is it? Did you get that? Many other places in the scripture, the Jews are uh, really the target and really the ones spoken to. And yet, what does it say in this passage? To the Gentiles, right? And the point there is not that it's not to the Jews, right? But it's that that it's for everybody, a gospel for everybody. Uh, it doesn't matter what family you came from. It doesn't matter what land you've been born in. It doesn't matter anything where you've been and what you've done. This is a gospel for you. And the riches that are found in Christ are riches for everyone. If they would come to know him. The second thing I want to tell you. And really, I've talked about this already, but I need to reiterate it. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. Sometimes I don't think that. Some days I wake up and I go, oh, is it really worth it? You know, It just seems like it would be easier to do something else. It seems like it, you know, it'd be simpler if I just did my own thing, just did whatever I wanted. And, and Paul says... I rejoice, I rejoice at suffering. The song um, that I listened to in my earlier days that referred to the, the gospel as a steal at any price. And that's what it is, to steal at any price. And the wild thing about it is it's free. It's free. To steal at any price and yet it's free. 
Lastly, um, and I, this is an important one, and I'll say this over and over again. You'll get tired of hearing me say it. That's okay. I, I want... I want you to see that, that, and I'm making this up, by the way, this percentage I'm just making up, that life or the gospel is 95% heaven, 95% glory. I think sometimes as we gather at the church here, maybe even that's the reason you've come this morning, you had a hard week, you felt empty, and you go, I don't know how I'm going to get through next week, so I better go to church. And somehow, I, in my relationship with Christ, He will give me enough to get through the day. That's true. But what it is to know Him is 95% not here. It's glory. It's to be with Him for eternity. Sometimes we look at what it is to know Christ and we say, well, Christ will give me a better marriage. He will help me to raise my kids the right way. He will help me with my finances. He will provide for me day to day. And He will somehow keep me on on balance if I get sick, and He'll help me in those days. And that's all true. But that's really only the 5% of knowing Him. The 95% is what comes after this. And as Paul, as he shared about this greatness of knowing Christ, he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hope of glory. It's the things to come that should keep us going. It's a relationship now and what is to come later. This is why uh, Paul was willing to suffer. This is why we should be willing to suffer because of the greatness of knowing Christ. Let's pray and ask God to remind us of these things. Father God, thank you for the opportunity of being before your word. Um, I realize that it's hard for us to understand, um, not because you have not spoken clearly, but because we bring so much of ourself into the process. God, thank you for your Holy Spirit that is our teacher this morning. And I ask that you would just reveal to us what we need to know and what um, needs to change. God, reshape our thinking, and not just in a a knowledgeable way, and that it's an education, but in a way that changes us. God, thank you for your son Jesus and what he did on our behalf. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.